Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you renovate buildings and make them beautiful, beautiful for your purposes. Father, we thank you that you renovate lives and make them beautiful for your purposes. Lord, I look at my 58 years and I just am so grateful that all the tens and thousands of moments where I was away from you have been erased and forgiven and have been replaced with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the cleansing power of his blood and resurrection. And because of him, I'm beautiful. My little sermon today, Lord, will be beautiful to your ears because it's given to you through Christ who cleans everything I give to you. May your people, Lord, today be encouraged. May they believe it's just the gospel that through Christ their life is beautiful, their works are beautiful, their life matters so much because of the works you have destined for us to do. Help me, God, say the things on this paper in the power of the Spirit so that our ears would hear them for what they are, words from heaven, from our God, from our Savior, from our King, who is leading us to an eternal city of beauty, one beautiful moment at a time. God, encourage the downhearted, the oppressed, the guilty, by having them look at Christ and his eyes look at them and say, I can make you beautiful. I am making you beautiful. We believe the gospel today, God, that in Christ we are beautiful and our works are beautiful. All over the world, God, we're grateful for the works that have gone out through the preaching of the word and the distribution of blankets and food and medicine, the building of shelters for the poor, Lord, the holding of a hand while someone dies. All of it, Lord, to advance the gospel so that people may live in the beautiful city of the Lord forever. May this service have a part in that. We partner with all those who suffer, all those who risk their life around the world to preach. We don't really risk much, but we want to give you all, all that you ask, and help them to do the same in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, I received a greeting card. Uh, on, the, on the front cover was a, a picture of a, of a potter. And somebody told me we're having some sound issues today, so I might get a mic in just a moment. We'll see. It was a potter, and he was on his wheel, and he was shaping his clay. And below the, the beautiful work that he was creating were these words by Roy Hessian. You're here not by God's chance, or not by chance. You're here not by chance, but by God's choosing. His hand formed you and made you the person you are. He has allowed you to be here at this time in history to fulfill his special purpose for this generation. That is a massive statement. That's an epic statement. But it really would have no authority if it were not backed up by this statement. We looked at last week. We'll go ahead and make the change now. We looked at this statement in Ephesians 2 last week, and all of these are signs. It's time to leave. <laughs> Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared 
in advance for us to do. And last week we said those two statements boil down to two statements. God has prepared special works for you to do. And Jesus Christ has prepared you to do those special works. I don't know if there's anything more thrilling in life than to know that I am a one-of-a-kind design and that nobody will ever glorify God quite like I do. No one can help people see a picture of God quite like I do because of the way that I've been wired and gifted and shaped. And God wants to fulfill that purpose through me. Just as an artist would choose many colors to form a painting, God has chosen many things in my life, your life, personality, experiences, gifts, training, opportunity, failure, success, to make you able to reflect his glory to this world. I have met many people who feel like, yeah, I believe that there might be a work for me to do, but unfortunately, I have disqualified myself from that work. So they sort of doubt the second statement, or they need to hear the second statement. Yeah, there's a work to be done, but Jesus Christ, no matter what you've done, has prepared you to do that work. Or as we could say, Jesus qualifies the disqualified. And again, that is the essence of Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship. I told you I was grateful for the band singing that song because we are God's beautiful, you see the word, poem in there. We are God's masterpiece, his art week, or artwork, or what I would like to say, his poem. Do you think about what would happen in your life today if I told you, assigned you to write a poem? You'd have a vision in your head of what you of what the words are supposed to convey, the picture, that the, that the words you write on paper. You, so you got a vision. This is where I want this thing to go at the end. Then you, you choose specific words, letters, phrases, clauses, rhyme, reason, and put them together to form a poem. And so when the scripture says you are God's workmanship, it means you are God's poem that he's writing in your life. And you say, well, my... The, I'm no longer a blank piece of paper. My blank piece of paper is covered with all sorts of fears. On my blank piece of paper, I didn't write a poem. I wrote how much I'm afraid. I wrote how much I doubt God, how confused I am. And then on other pieces of paper, it's just globs of messy ink, globs of mistakes, globs of immorality, globs of abortion, globs of lust, globs of greed, globs of neglect of family. And you say, it's not a blank piece of paper. There is no beautiful poem being written out of my life. But God, whose love is great and his mercy is rich, says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ. My prayer partner and I, earlier this morning, Archie down in Greenwood, were praying, and I just remember these words rolling out of his mouth for 36 years now. Father, we serve you by Christ, with Christ, For Christ, in Christ, unto Christ. Our good works are beautiful simply because they are linked with our faith in Jesus Christ who makes the messy paper clean and white and new. Again, our ruined piece of paper, our damaged heart becomes new with our union with Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith in Christ. Christ, regardless of your past failures and present weaknesses, whenever you place your hand in Christ's hand, you become an effective tool for God. Because of his great love, 
We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Whatever you're doing right now, I want you to stop and hear these words. God loves you. You probably didn't hear it. Just think about that. Just enjoy that a minute. Because of his great love. This is why you can serve God. God loves you. Point number one. And here. Point number two. God wants to use you. Now just stop your mind from thinking about what you got to do at one o'clock today. God loves you. And God wants to use you. I don't know how I could encourage you and thrill you more than telling you God loves you and wants to use you. He is using you. He just wants to use you more. He's used you in the past. He wants to use you again. I don't know if you know this, but ever so often in life, I receive unbelievably large uh, compensation bonuses from this church. Huge. I got one last week right after I was preaching on, on this word, poema. God has made you beautiful. And um, one of our students, Clara, came up to me and with this sign. And she said she had been with the, the Koenigs and they were making some artwork. And so she's holding this beautiful word in her hand. I had no idea anybody even knew the word poema. And when I looked at her, I just got to take a picture a minute. When I looked at her, because I didn't, I, I never wanted to forget who she is standing there. God loves her, creator of her mother's womb. Jesus Christ hung on the cross, rose from the dead, so that her heart would be restored to a blank piece of paper, clean, holy, through which God could write a story. And I looked at her and I thought to myself, I wonder what story God is going to write through her. What is her, what is God's poema? I wonder what she's going to do for God. And I just hope that you can see yourself not based on any sort of emphasis in my voice or me wanting you to feel all right, but Ephesians 2.10, you're holding the word poema in front of your heart. You are God's beautiful masterpiece because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he wants to use you. If you get the first part right, let's say you get the first part, God loves me, but you have no interest, you never even thought about God using you, then that part of your life would be a massive failure as well. Massive failure if you don't believe God loves you. Massive failure if you don't. Get the concept of God wanting to use you. Your life is incomplete if you're not serving the Lord. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. You know, he was, I guess if Jesus had a best friend, I guess it's Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Lazarus becomes sick. He dies. Four days after his death, Jesus comes to the town of Bethany where he lived. 
and stands outside the tomb of a dead man and issues this command. Lazarus, Jesus called in a loud voice, John eleven forty three, 43, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. So that was command number one, live. But equally important, so often overlooked in the story is command number two. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Not enough that he was alive. Take off the grave clothes so he can be fully alive, students. You're not fully alive until you're serving the Lord with his beautiful works. How did Lazarus serve the Lord once he was freed up from the grave cloths? Next chapter tells us. Six day, this was just next chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, not surprising, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And I just would give anything in the world to be a part of that conversation. That's the first time they've been together since, and Lazarus said, you're not going to believe it when I was laying there and heard your voice when I was in the tomb. Jesus, you freaked me out. Now they're talking about this at the table, and then look what happens. Verse 9, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. God's purpose in saving you and assigning good works for you to do is that so the people will come and look at you and you point them to Christ. That's exactly what happened here. If you want a, a pretty cool definition of discipleship, I, I like it based on John 11. Discipleship is the ongoing removal of the remnants of our old life so that we can walk in joyful, unhindered service to the Lord. And that all comes from the story of Lazarus. Alive and then unhindered. So he can what? Sit at a table, enjoy Jesus, and have many people come look at him being alive so he can point them to Christ who did the miracle. You are incomplete spiritually unless you're involved in service to the Lord. God doesn't save us. I hear so many people focused on, all, they come to church always wondering, like, how am I doing? Like, like, they really don't ever get past their salvation, and then they're all their, they're, they're just their weekly, uh, their weekly stuff. Like, you know, I'm depressed, and I failed God this week, so church turns out to be just like, always, how am I doing? How dreadful and depressing is that to just spend your entire Christian life focused on how you are doing when God has called you to a life of being freed from the grave clothes so that you can 
serve him. Scripture never says you were saved, period. It doesn't talk like that. Scripture says you were saved so that, always has a purpose clause in every act of God. I mean, beginning with Genesis 12 to Abraham, I will bless you so that people can be blessed through you. I save you so that others can be saved through your life. You've been saved by Jesus Christ to be a blessing with the new life that you've been given. Imagine this scene. you got no money. You're out of work. Can't pay rent at your apartment. It's cold. And all of a sudden, Providence smiles on you, and a job at a local factory opens up, and you get a job unloading trucks. And quite unexpectedly, three weeks after you start this new job, the owner, who's crazy rich, comes to you and says that he has purchased the trip of a lifetime for you. Next summer, you and your wife are going to Europe for three weeks. With a huge smile on his face, your employer hands you a packet of information, including your tickets for airfare, hotels, lodging. But an interesting thing happens. The next day at the factory, you don't show up. People ask, where are you? Or the, the boss says, where is he? he said, and, and your coworkers say, he's already gone to the airport and he's just waiting for the trip of a lifetime which begins in three months. You say, well, that's just a stupid story. It's the picture of the majority of the Lord's church. Got this undeserved salvation. God, the rich owner of the universe, comes and washes the paper of my heart clean and takes away all the globs of ink, guilt, stain, and tells me I'm going to heaven, and we just sit around waiting for the plane to take off. You are incomplete if you are not, from this point until the time of your departure, serving the Lord. That is the message of Ephesians 2.10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, but for works. This is how the reformers used to say it. Faith alone saves but the faith that saves is never alone. Not by works, but for works. Just as this is important that you would never get mixed up and try to think you can do a work to get to heaven, it's just as equally dreadful to say my works after my salvation don't matter. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never Alone. So Christ recreates you and then God recommissions you. Jesus gives you his goodness so that you'll be good. The Spirit indwells you so that you will love good, and the Father sends you out to do good. I'll say it one more time. Jesus recreates you so that you are good. The Spirit comes inside of you so that you will love good, and the Father sends you out so that you will. Do good. What a, what a great vision statement for your life. Here's, 
Here's, you look for a vision statement. And I'm still learning about the difference between vision statements and mission statements. I think vision, like maybe bigger, more arching, more maybe epic-like. So this is big. So we'll call it a vision statement. And probably after this over, smart people say that's wrong. But let's say this is a vision statement for your life. I am created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I think if you're looking for a vision statement, you're not going to find anything better than that. I am created in Christ Jesus to do good works works. And so you spend the rest of your life finding out what those good works are. You say, how do I do that? Well, you, you got to find out how God has shaped you. Do you remember back in the 90s, Rick Warren, when Saddleback Church was growing so well, and he developed this course called SHAPE so people could find the good works they were to do. And it's an acronym, SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E, and each of the letters represents something. So the first would be how, how do I know, what am I supposed to do? What are my good works? Well, first you got to identify what are your spiritual gifts. What's a spiritual gift? It is a unique God-given ability that when you perform it, you, have, you are effective in either advancing the gospel or strengthening the church. God-given, unique ability that when you perform it, you are effective at advancing the gospel among the unreached or strengthening the church. Um, I had a friend of mine who once told me, he said, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. I said, well, why don't you teach this Sunday and let's see about that. And what I, I wouldn't be hard on him. I was just saying, you might say you're a teacher. Are you effective when words are coming out of your mouth? for the advancement of the gospel or the strengthening of God's people. Heart, or H, what's your heart? Here's a good way to figure out what's my heart. What do you think about when you're just sitting around? That's your heart. That's your spiritual heart. I'm just a big, giant nerd when I'm sitting around. I'm reading, and I'm taking notes, and I'm, I'm, I'm putting them in Evernote, said, Oh, you read this about Susanna Spurgeon on page 212. Make sure you use that on July 14th service. So I'm always taking notes, always filing, because my heart, when, I, when I'm just sitting around, I'm just thinking about the next opportunity to speak. It's my heart. It's all, it's just God. Abilities. People try to downplay abilities as if they're nothing compared to spiritual gifts. Abilities are precious. You'd be surprised at the way you can serve God overseas. People think, well, I've got to go overseas and I've got to walk the streets of South Asia, striking up conversations with Muslims in their shops, and I got to be able to present the gospel in less than two minutes. I can't be a missionary. Do you know how many people it takes to make that conversation happen? You, you got administrators who fly people in and out of around the world. They take care of logistics. They, you go over there. They help you buy a car. They help you find a house. There are people who help you. They're, they live overseas, but they're helping you with your budget. They're helping you. You know, with the central collection of money. 
doctors, their abilities. They're just doing the same thing here, but among the poor who have no medical care. Don't discount your abilities. They're very, very important. You know, I think about moving into the new building, which is going to be somewhere around July 14th at 1030. Now, you say, who's really important that day? I mean, what's a gift that would be important? I'll tell you a gift to be really important to me. Those on the parking team would like play a major role. We have a little joke among the staff, no matter how much God is moving in a church, if people can't park, they're not coming. You can be as spiritual as you want, get frustrated parking. They're not coming back, promise you. No, we're going to pray that through. Nope. If people can't park, they're not coming. And so I think about somebody with organizational skills. They really don't want to teach, don't want to sing, but they like organization and they like preventing car wrecks. <laughs> and how helpful they would be. And just think about, I was thinking when I was writing this uh, this week, I was just thinking about well, what a great, what a great uh, slogan for the Parking team, helping people, helping people find a place on the outside so they can find their place inside. I mean, well, what joy would that be? I help you found a place on the outside so you can find your place inside. Because they have a bit. All right, then personality. When Lisa and I were interviewing with the IMB years ago before my health went down and we were looking at places around the world to serve, one of the key questions they ask us is, you like quiet places or do you like loud, busy, noisy, obnoxious places? I said, that's so easy. I am loud, obnoxious. <laughs> so really they say they wouldn't want to send somebody with a rural mindset to an urban task because it's not their personality. So your personality plays a major role in how God wants to use you. And finally, your experiences. And, and this, is just, this is just massive. Do you, remember my, you know my first speech was in, my first public appearance, <laughs> my first talk was, it was sixth grade graduation, and they were going to release a bunch of balloons on stage, and all the graduates were supposed to come out. And, no, it was the beginning of the year. That's what, the beginning of the year, and so the sixth graders coming out on the stage, and... I had to come out and say, let's start the year off with a bang. That was my line. I carried a note card with me. <laughs> and so they dropped the balloons. I said, let's start the year off with a bang. And everybody mashed them, stepped on the balloons until they popped. So from that point till today, all I've been doing is building experiences, speaking. And every time I speak, I evaluate it. Lisa really helps me evaluate it. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's just, and I told you last week, sometimes you leave a stage, sort of like last week for me. I'm like, I couldn't quite figure out what happened. But, you know, just learn. You just learn. Everything's an experience. And if you're unwilling to go through the, the search for these experiences, you'll, you'll just never, you, 
You, you can't. I just ask you to take an inventory of your life. Jesus Christ is worth you thinking hard about how you are shaped. Ask others what they think your shape is spiritually. <laughs> Hurt your feelings if you ask another one. And sit with Jesus daily at his table like Lazarus. Sit with Jesus daily at his table like Lazarus so Jesus can bring people into your life that you can then point to the Lord. So we want to purpose in life, live for the applause of God and advertise him so that others will applaud him as well. Live for the applause of God and live to applaud God. Live to applaud God. And spend your life advertising his beauty so others will applaud him as well. Now, I want to sort of end, and I think we're just going to see how it works. I think we're probably going to not stop this at some point. But I want to end. I told you last week, my dad always said, make sure you end well where you are in life. Work and all that. So I kind of consider us ending at Oakbrook. I want to end well. So... I want to use a verse of scripture that Shane preached on a few weeks ago. This is going to sort of help us land the plane, and I think we're going to look at it again a little bit next week too. This is Paul's mission statement. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task testifying to the good news of God's grace. You would have more luck trying to stop a locomotive headed down the tracks by tying a rope in front of that train than you would stopping this man. Gospel globetrotter who said, I only want to tell people about the grace of God. So I want to look three reasons that vision matters from the life of the Apostle Paul. Number one, why does vision matter? It made Paul, when he had a vision of Christ, it made him indifferent to earthly gain. Spend a lot of time there, but just quick reference. Paul said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Now, this is not worm theology. I'm not saying I'm just a worm. No, he's just saying there's nothing on earth I want other than Christ. I don't want possessions. I don't want comfort, security. None of that matters to me compared to what I've found in the grace of Christ. Indifferent. Indifferent to earthly gain. That's part of the grave clothes that need to come off. Love of comfort and security and things. Why is the vision important? Number two, it gave him incredible discipline. I cannot imagine the barrage of temptations that came against the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's the same one that wrote Ephesians 2.10, you're created for good works, and then he says in Ephesians 2.24, I only want to finish my race. Can you imagine 
a man like the Apostle Paul writes 13 letters of the New Testament and takes Christianity to two continents. Can you imagine how tempted this man was? He was single. I mean, that would carry like wads of temptation, would it not? Single. So tempted. Yet he disciplined himself to enjoy Christ daily like Lazarus at the table, enjoying Christ's love and getting strength and direction, and then do what he says, period. I love how Jim Elliott talks about the discipline necessary when temptation comes. And you don't yield to it. Missionary down for the Alka Indians, killed in 1956 in South America. Jim Elliott says, he who has purpose has power in the day of temptation. Next week, I'm going to tell you a little bit about George Verwer and the influences he's had on this church, my life, our work in India. But I'll go ahead and tell you this. George is the president of Operation Mobilization, and I'll, his story is so fun, I just don't want to cram it today. But I will tell you the way he used to close phone calls with close friends. They'd wind it up, have prayer, and, and as only Verwer can, he'd say, Man, brother, God has really blessed you. Now don't go do something stupid. For any man in this church, can, I can't speak, you know, really can't speak just, uh, you know, to, to women as well as I can to man on this. It's like, you, you golly. Don't you love brothers like that in your life who raise the bar so high to remind you, now don't go do something stupid. Richard, moving across town, visibility of your life increases mega. Staff, visibility, mega. Elders, mega increase in visibility. God has blessed you. Don't do something stupid. Staff guys, Feel free to come in my office every day and say that. God's blessed you, Richard. Don't do something stupid. He who has purpose has power in the day of temptation. I don't resist sin a lot just out of love for Jesus Christ. My love for him is too low for that. I'm just so fearful. I'm more fearful of dishonoring him publicly than I am going to hell. And I know how capable, how capable I am. He who has purpose has power in the day of temptation. That's why vision matters. If Paul were going to finish his race, then he would need to avoid becoming distracted or discouraged by the thousands of voices that tell him to quit. Satan, listen to this, Satan is passionate about stopping you from your race. Again, people talk in terms of, I'm saved, but I'm doing nothing. That is thrilling to Satan. Has you right where he wants you. Ineffective. Satan, Hunter, Ronnie, Dan, V, Dean, Yako, Chris, is passionate. about stopping you from fulfilling your purpose in life. And you know what he wants? He wants you to, instead of accepting God's mission in life, he wants you to 
He wants to substitute that with a shadow mission. You know what a shadow mission is? A shadow mission is the substitute mission that we pursue when we stop pursuing God. It takes root when we stop dwelling on God, stop performing spirit, stop forming spiritual strategies to know and serve God and listen to the burdens of our heart. And we just accept a shadow mission rather than the mission. You might be saved, but if Satan has convinced you to turn aside, then he has you right where he wants you. Number three, and this will be the beginning of where we lead into next week. Why Vision Matters, it produced in Paul an enduring ministry. Look at the verse that precedes verse 24. Verse 24 was Paul's mission statement. Look at verse 23. I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. The only thing that I do know is that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So if you want to serve God, get it right now. Because it would probably just how disingenuous I'd be if I didn't say this. If you want to serve God, then you must embrace risk, uncertainty, and suffering. That precedes verse 24. There's so many people that say, I think I might like to go overseas, but I need more information about what might happen there. Not for Paul. He said, I don't know what's going to happen there. Well, yeah, I do. I'm going to suffer. So uncertainty and suffering is what he knew would happen there. And by the, by the time Paul wrote this, he had already been publicly many times mocked, stripped of his clothes, beaten, so beaten at one point that he was pronounced dead, dragged to the city dump where God raised him back to life. Uncertainty risks suffering if you want to do the works that God has destined for you. But you know what? My, my favorite statement of Paul, he said, uh, this is Acts 20. In Acts 26, he's giving a testimony to a king named Agrippa. And so he tells him about what he's been doing. And then I love, I want to say this with all my heart about the good works that God has called me to do. At the end of my life, oh, may I say this, may you say this, Paul said to Agrippa. I was not disobedient to the vision. Oh. And some of you right now are just on the verge of thinking about quitting. Not just Hope Point, but the Lord. And you, can't, you won't be able to say this at the end of your life. I was not disobedient to the vision. So I'm going to close with this. Verwer is for next week. But I know some of you are very weak today. I know your pastor is very weak today. I mean, I just had such a great time with Lisa yesterday telling her about how weak I feel at this time in my life was up from, from 4 o'clock on yesterday just, and Yako has told us he's had many of these nights as we're making this transition, but I just got clobbered yesterday with a sense of feeling weak. There were so, there's so many things happening right now. Dynamics are unbelievable emotionally and spiritually and physically. 
I know that some of you are weak today. You say you can't complete the mission God has for you. Listen, I told you to stop a minute ago. Now I'm going to tell you, stop again, stop. Remember I said God loves you, God wants to use you. God loves you, God wants to use you. Here's what you need to do right now. Stop looking for answers. Stop looking for comfort. Here's what you got to do. You just got to reach out and hold the hand of Jesus. By faith are you saved, right? We agreed with that. It's the same faith that you keep serving. By faith are you saved? By faith are you, do you serve? Faith, his hand, nail-scarred, omnipotent. The hand that sent the storm yesterday through Spartanburg. He's got it. Thundering Jesus has your hand. Crucified Jesus has your hand. You have a responsibility every day to grasp his hand. Every morning before you get up, before your head leaves that pillow, you should cry out to God, I need you again today. Before you start anything. That's the only way you're going to be able to say I was not disobedient to the vision. Alexander McLaren led for 50 years his church, 50 years in Manchester, England. He said, God does not lead us on roads that are too steep for our weaknesses and too long for our strength. What he bids us do, he fits us for. I would say amen. Hey, Jeremy. What he bids us do, he fits us for. And what he fits us for, he bids us do. I'm reading a really good book. It's 11 o'clock. I think I'll be done at 11.02 reading a really good book right now on the life of the wife of Charles Spurgeon. Because I am who I am. Jesus Christ first, Lisa Smith second. Long time ago would have left Hope Point, ministry, everything were it not for little Lisa. So I wanted to get to know this woman and knew nothing about her. Obviously married to history's greatest preacher who preached at the Metropolitan Church in London for 36 years. Average crowd size was 4,000 per Sunday. He died before she did, like 10 years. So she had to learn life without her husband, without Spurgeon. She did all sorts of things that I'll tell you about in coming months because she's just so Beautiful, the works that she did for God after her husband died. But in 1899, she went through a season of great depression. Charles Spurgeon, the pastor, had died. His son, Thomas, had taken over the church. Who preaches after Spurgeon? You can imagine, it just wasn't the same flavor, people comparing... 
So money wasn't coming in like it used to. Ministries weren't supported like they used to be. And she looked at her husband's work of 36 years and began to doubt that it could be sustained. Very depressed. She walked into a music hall. wasn't even at a church. She walked into a music hall and sat down at a piano and just began to play hymns and begin to sing. And the truth of Scripture through those hymns thrilled her voice, and she said at the end of her singing, God spoke these words to her heart. Have I not graciously helped and sustained you these many years? And are you going to doubt my pity and my power now? Please believe the gospel. The Christ who saved you will strengthen you until the end. Let's pray. Father, before me sits a sea of precious, redeemed humanity and some seekers wondering if this is true. You alone, O oh God, can give faith, and so we beg you now during the singing, the supernatural act of being born again by the Spirit of God would occur. Oh, we cry out, God, help us. Oh, Holy Spirit, come upon us and give us faith. Faith to believe that the God of yesterday's thunder was the same God over Mount Calvary, thundering as well, when all of the sins of the world were placed on his son because you, your love is great and your mercy is rich. Oh, God of thunder, you judged Jesus so that we would be set free. So that we, like Lazarus, dead in our sins, could hear the voice of Christ commanding us to leave the tomb of deadness and condemnation, to walk out new in Christ, beautiful, a poema. God, would you help people today believe the gospel that through Jesus Christ they are a masterpiece. The old has gone, the new has come. The sheet is blank again, and it's blank every day for the writing of your great story on that paper, on that heart. Father, would you remind us today this is the purpose of life, to do the works of God that magnify the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that as we go across town, you would raise up in this church a spirit of great, intense hunger to be used and to serve, not sit begging for the opportunity to do the works of God that bring glory and attention to Jesus. But Lord, for the person today who's paralyzed, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maritally, just clobbered with fear and anxiety, I pray right now, God, you would meet them as you did Susie Spurgeon. That your power and your pity are great. 
You have not abandoned them. Not 10 years ago, not last year, and you're still there with them. May they reach up and grab hold of the hand of Christ and say, God, help me finish well. Help me to be able to say I was not disobedient to the vision. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.